Some people have book smarts and some people have street smarts. And some people have both. Some people have sentimental love, some people have practical love, and some people have both. And I want to talk to you today about kind of mixing those two, all those things together. And I got thinking about this and the, the, the person I thought of was my, my friend and a global mission partner from uh, Rio de Janeiro. His name is Craig. And here's Craig and his lovely wife, Alessandra, and their daughter. Uh, he has served in Rio de Janeiro for many, many, many years. He, he, he's a street smart guy. He, he, he's very wise. But he also, he has, he's got this bold love for people. And you bring those together, and it really is cool. Uh, I, I knew that this guy was, you know, different and, and something special. He, he figured out this incredible way to, uh, to kind of spring his proposal, wedding proposal, onto his Brazilian wife. Uh, he rented a helicopter uh, and, and went around the uh, Christ the Redeemer statue, which is the centerpiece of Rio de Janeiro. And, uh, and she's looking at this incredible moment and she'd never done this and they get this helicopter ride. And then he points down to the base of the statue and at the base of the statue are some people holding some gigantic signs. And she says, what, what? he goes, read what they say. And she says, will you marry me? Oh, and he, he pulled it off. It was fantastic and amazing. He pulled out the ring and the helicopter. Uh, it was just an incredible moment. And then that's bold love. And that's street smarts too, okay, put them two together. On another occasion, I was with him actually, and um, Rio de Janeiro is a beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, it really is. Sugarloaf Mountain, Christ the Redeemer statue towering over the city, uh, the beaches, the mountains, it, it's just a really incredible place. And it's also one of the most dangerous cities in the world. A lot of violent crime, in, a lot of robbery, um, a lot of just nasty stuff that goes down, drugs, violence, all sorts of stuff that goes down in Rio. So you gotta kinda have some savvy, you gotta have some street smarts to make it. Uh, and, and Craig kinda pulls those together, this love for the people, but also some street smarts. And on one occasion, we were going to a meeting and he pulled into a, a, a parking spot. And as you can see in this very crowded city, parking spots are at a premium. We got out of the car, and uh, we just took a few steps and then we're met by a, a Brazilian man and Craig and this man, who's a stranger, begin to have a conversation. And it goes back and forth pretty rapidly. It's in Portuguese, so I don't understand a word of it. And they ex actually, they exchange money and then we walk away. And I said, well, what just went down there? And he says, okay, I'll, I'll explain what happened. The guy comes up to me and what he is, is he's a car watcher. Uh, he's a car watcher. I said, what's that? He goes, well, that's the guy who says, pay me money and I'll watch your car, which means if you don't pay the money, something bad is going to happen to your car. And so he says, I'm a car watcher. Give me 50 reais, which is Brazilian currency. And, uh, and Craig, he recounts this whole conversation. Craig says to him, 50 reais? I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary. Does it look like I could afford 50 reais to give you to wash the car? And the man, the car watcher says, oh, I, I'm sorry, Padre. I, I didn't realize that you were a man of the cloth and there's still respect in Brazil for, for people who are pastors and missionaries. He says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 10 reais for you, just 10. And Craig kind of smiles and he says, how about 20? And so he gives him 20 
KPIs, which isn't all that much money. And it, it was just, I walked away from that. I said, you know how to live in this city. You got some street smarts. He, he, he loves the people of that city. He's lived there for decades. And he, he, also, he also knows how to live in, in a difficult, challenging place. He's got street smarts and he's got bold love and he loves them all. I mean, he loves the hurting and the helpless and he also, he loves car watchers and he wants to build bridges to them too. And I just thought it was such a powerful example. This guy is savvy, he is shrewd, but he cares and he loves his city and he loves the people in that city. He loves them all, but he's not a fool. He wasn't born yesterday. He's got street smarts and he's got bold love, and that's a dynamic combination. And I want to talk to you about that today, about living in a culture where we need both. We need to love people, but we also need to be wise about it. In fact, Jesus said something similar to this. He said, you are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So let's talk about this. We're in the book of Acts together. You can turn to Acts uh, chapter 21. We'll begin up at verse 17 in just a moment. But the book of Acts is this incredible adventure story of the early church, the early Christians. Jesus had been raised from the dead after dying on the cross for our sins. And then he had given them a mission to take this good news to both the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Along the way, a persecutor of the church named Saul had met the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus road and had known that he was raised from the dead. He gave his life to Jesus. And from that point forward, there was no turning back and he made it his life's mission. In fact, Christ made it his mission to take the good news to as many people as he possibly could. And so we learn from his example how to do more than just survive, but to thrive. We see in the apostle Paul a life and a soul and a heart that is shaped and formed by Jesus. And that's what we all want. We want to have our lives transformed by Jesus. But we also see someone who is able to take the good news to other people, not just see their own lives transformed, but be a, an instrument of God to, to be an influence on others, to see their lives transformed. And so that's what we want to see. And in order to love our, love our neighbors, to see Christ formed in us and to see Christ formed in them, in order to see renewal in our time, spiritual revival in ourselves, in our families, in our community, and our nation, it's gonna take a lot. And that's why we're calling this series, Whatever It Takes. And we've been saying whatever it takes last weekend we started that, and what I'm telling you today is it takes street smarts and bold love. Um, Paul, last weekend we learned he was on his way back to Jerusalem. He wanted to get there by Pentecost. He was concluding his third missionary journey. And everyone along the way is telling him, don't go because terrible things are going to happen to you. And he says, I know that there's going to be suffering. Jesus already told me that, but I'm supposed to go here. And he says, I'm not only willing to suffer or to be chained or whatever, I'm, I'm willing to die in Jerusalem. And so they finally said, okay, the Lord's will be done. And they surrendered Paul into the hands of God. And Paul surrendered himself and said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And so we come to this story. We're going to learn about street smarts and bold love. Now, I want to tell you ahead of time, I could have titled this message a lot of things. I thought about big hearts will have big heartaches. I'll have put your best foot forward and somebody will stomp on it really hard. 
Or love means willing to be misunderstood and rejected. Or you got to play it smart, play the long game and keep caring. Don't get jaded, don't get indifferent, and certainly don't get hostile to the people in the community. But, you know, as we begin this, I, I think one way to summarize is just make the most of your chaos. Make the most of your chaos. That's what we're living in. That's what Paul was living in. Let's pick it up. It's uh, the Feast of Pentecost is, is underway, and it's uh, the year 57 AD, and most likely. When we reach Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. So he gets this hero's welcome from many of the brothers and sisters in Christ. These are Jewish folks who become followers of Jesus. The following day, Paul went in with us to James. That's the brother of the Lord Jesus, who is the leader of the Jerusalem group of believers. And all the elders were present. So all the important people of the church the early in Jerusalem were there. After greeting them, Paul reported in detail, in detail, what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. It's been a while since he's visited with them. It's been a while since he's told them any of these details. And I would have loved to have heard that report. I mean, what a report. Thousands of new believers, hundreds of churches, uh, incredible leaders that have been raised up. And then the cities that Paul had been to, to Philippi, where uh, there'd been an earthquake and that Philippian jailer had come to know Jesus. I bet he told that story. And he told about Corinth and what a cast of characters he met there. And some people who were very far from God came to faith in Jesus. He talked about Athens and speaking on Mars Hill with the Acropolis in the distance to the philosophers and uh, the, the wise people of Athens. And he shared the good news of Jesus' resurrection with them. And then on to Ephesus, which was steeped in occult and witchcraft. And the Apostle Paul, so many of them come to know Jesus. And other things happen, miracles, Eutychus, remember him falling out the window and then raised from the dead. Yeah, it goes on and on. I mean, I don't know how long this lasted, but it must have been incredibly powerful to hear this, telling everybody the good news of what had happened. And just pause for a moment. And, and that's to say, do we need to celebrate whenever God shows up? Uh, to have bold love and street smarts, you're going to have to celebrate when God does show up. And so many times I think we look only at, at things that have gone wrong and things that have not gone the way we wanted them to, instead of really pausing and doing what he did. Let's celebrate. So in your life groups, in your circles, in your friendships, uh, spend some time celebrating what God has done You'll give thanks to God. That's what they did here. We need to celebrate more often. But let's keep going. So they're celebrating. It's a big hooray. Everybody's excited. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So this broke out into this worship service. They're praising God. It's just amazing. You know, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. Some people estimate up to 50,000 there in the city of Jerusalem. And they're all celebrating this. And then they add this. See how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. At this point, you get some kind of somber music beginning to play in the movie. Praise the Lord, this is amazing. It's many thousands of believe, but... And they're zealous for the law. They're going to now introduce 
the Apostle Paul to some controversy. Brace yourself, we got some good news and we got some bad news. And the entire tone of the gathering changes with those words. They are zealous for the law. Because they're Jewish folks. And many of them are still observing all the Jewish traditions. And they know that the Apostle Paul has been circulating among Gentiles for a long, long time. Somebody just poured a bucket of ice-cold water onto the blazing fire of celebration. And apparently, what we're going to learn here is that not everybody was happy with Paul. He came sauntering into Jerusalem, the holy city, with a mixed crowd. Because he wasn't just surrounded with Jewish believers. He's surrounded by, he was surrounded by Gentile believers who had different customs, different clothing, different, different practices. And they didn't observe all the Jewish customs. And this doesn't go over well. Um, so celebrate what God has done, but don't be naive. Sometimes it gets complicated. Sometimes you're, you're doing great and things are going well and God's doing great stuff, but then somebody breaks in and pours some cold water, throws a wet blanket onto the celebration. And here's what happened. They have been informed about you. They're going to tell the Apostle Paul about a rumor that's been circulating. Rumors going around that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles. You've been out in all these foreign lands and places. You've been telling the Jews are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses. Just cancel Moses. Like, he's not important anymore. Forget about him. Telling them not to circumcise their children. This was not true. Or to live according to our customs. Also not true. So they're like, this rumor circulating because you spent so much time among those types that now the rumor is you've said, you've just walked away from all your Jewishness. At this point, the leaders there, they believe in Paul. They're excited about what God's done. But they also have this group of people that are unhappy and they've circulated false rumors about the apostle. There's been scuttlebutt and talk on the street, gossip, rumors. And so they asked in verse 22, so what is to be done? What are we going to do here? We got a problem on our hands. What is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. This trouble has been brewing for a long time. And now... The boys are back in town. Yep, the boys are back in town and not everybody's happening. It goes from a celebration to deflation. The air is out of the tires. The wind is out of their sails. It's a gigantic bummer. I mean, this is Debbie Downer, Downer, Downer. A rumor's going around. My cousin's father's sister-in-law lives in Corinth and she said, right, and you're back in Jerusalem, everybody is going to hear about you, and they all think you're off base. You've lost it. You've strayed. You've gone soft on the law, soft on our Jewish customs and traditions, and you're even telling Jewish believers out there not to follow any of this. And they find themselves, these leaders, between a rock and a hard place. Because on the one hand, they really believe in what Paul is doing, but on the other hand, they got a group, at least some, not all, but some, that are pretty upset and they believed all these rumors about Paul. So they come up with a solution. 
They said, what we have here is a public relations problem, PR problem. So we can solve this, and we've got this great idea. So here's what they say to do, verse 23. Therefore, do what we tell you. Here's our great idea. We have four men who have made a vow. Most likely it's a Nazarite vow, which is a 30-day vow that you're not going to eat meat or drink wine for 30 days. You're going to let your hair grow. And it's a time of contemplation and serious dedication to God. And he says, take these, and, and by the way, at the end of the 30 days, you've got to sacrifice a lamb and a ram and, and a lot of other sacrifices are to be made. So there's considerable cost involved in all of this. He says, take these men, purify yourself along with them and pay for them to get their head shaved. That's what you do at the end of the 30 days. Now, it was allowed for you not to, you didn't have to always go to do the entire 30 days. You could actually join for the last week and if you were willing to pay for, if you came late to the game, so to speak, came late to this vow, you could still join in. And if you say, I'm going to observe just seven days, that's okay, but I will pay for all the costs involved. Because both involve substantial sacrifice, obviously. So they say, okay, just do that. Pay for them to get their head shaved, which means the end, all the costs involved at the end of this thing. This is not a TikTok challenge. This is, this is a serious uh, spiritual tradition and custom that was common in, the, in those days. It was the purification rites of ultra-observant Jewish men. And they say, if they can just see you publicly taking part in the ancient ancestral customs, this will appease them. And verse uh, here it says, then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing. You'll put the rumor to rest. It'll all be fine. And that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. You haven't canceled Moses. You're still a devout, observant Jewish man. And Paul might be thinking, wait, wait just a second. And so then they re quickly reassure him with regard to the Gentiles who have believed we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. In other words, they go back to Acts 15 and say, yeah, we wrote that letter, and we are not backing away from our decision. We are not trying to impose upon Gentiles Jewish customs. We just want them to know that you're not telling Jewish people to abandon all of them. Okay? So that's all taken care of. We have the bases covered. We're not pulling the rug out from under you at all but we think this will help with this group of observant Jewish folks. So, Paul's got a big heart, and he's got some street smarts. So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple. Now he's in the inner, inner part, uh, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. So he's saying, okay, in seven days we're going to do, and there are certain things that had to be done throughout this week-long period. Paul agrees to all of this. And, and for just a moment, let's just ask why. Because he knows that none of these rituals earn, um, uh, you know, our salvation. He knows that all these 
rights are that Jesus has fulfilled all of them. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. But he's willing to go along with them because it is part of his tradition. And somebody wrote, why did he do this? Uh, they said he, the show of solidarity with these four Nazarite vow uh, guys was consistent with his theology of accommodation. That is, wherever he could go along with something, if it didn't jeopardize the spiritual principle, wasn't disobedient to God, was just a, an observ observation of a neutral custom, he was willing to go along with that. And the reasons are to express confidence in the wisdom of the Jewish leadership, to preserve peace in the church, to ease tensions between Christian Jews and their culture, to remove the barriers to acceptance of the gospel by any Jewish people who had questions about him, to, to open the way for the elders to accept the financial gift that he was bringing from the Gentiles, to express unity between the Gentile and Jewish wings of the church, and to demonstrate loyalty to his Jewish roots. Someone wrote, willingness to accommodate the likes and dislikes of others where accommodation does not hinder spiritual growth or violate some clear instruction of the Lord is part of a sound mission strategy. So Paul was willing to do all of that. And what I learned from all of this um, is that we, we should be willing to go the extra mile. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9 these words, even though I am a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So he's, he's still following the commands of God, but he's not following all the customs. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. He, he just was willing to go, to, do, to go the extra mile with anybody to build a bridge with them for the sake of the gospel. And he wasn't going to allow cultural traditions or just merely things that were temporary to get in the way of that. He was very flexible about his methodologies without ever compromising his message. That's a very important spiritual principle. So he's all in on this. And one of the reasons he is is because he has such a huge heart for the Jewish people. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, I'll just read it to you. He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Because he was troubled that so many of them had not embraced Jesus as Messiah. He says, I mean, that's an incredible statement. I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if somehow that would bring them to salvation. So he is willing to do anything in order for people to come to Jesus. And the principle here is go the extra mile. This passage is an incredible challenge to, to just say, are we, do we really have that kind of passion to go the extra mile for people, to do whatever it takes to reach them, and to not let secondary matters obscure the cross of Jesus, not let secondary matters get in the way. So we got to give Paul a lot of credit here. He has this deep love. He's saying, I'm willing to do this, and he does. Now, let's look what happens, because sometimes 
the bridge is built and there's openness and sometimes there is not. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple. So these people from out of town, but they're there and they saw Paul in the temple, in the, in the inner courts. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, fellow, fellow Israelites, help! We need somebody, help, not just anybody, help, right? It, the whole thing now springs into chaos. The, 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 we're going to see that this, this attempt to build a bridge backfires terribly. It boomerangs on them. It had the opposite effect because some troublemakers said, we don't care about all this stuff. We don't care how you, you are trying to build bridges. We just are against you. We hate you. We believe all these rumors, and it doesn't matter what you're doing here. You're wrong. This, they said, read, read it. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. Wow. Where'd they get that? These are just outright falsehoods, lies. They say, we knew you were trouble when you walked in. Trouble, trouble, trouble. That's what they say. What's more, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What? Total misunderstanding and deliberate mischaracterization of what he has done. What's more, he brought these Greeks in the temple. What? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Now, if he actually had done that, that would have been a serious breach of Jewish law. Because, uh, let me share with you, one writer writes, Gentiles were not allowed in the temple. They could only come to the outer court of the Gentiles. Be between the outer inner courts was a fence. And on the fence was a sign in Greek and Latin, quote, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and the enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. The Romans did not allow the Jews to execute people, except if you were a Gentile who went into the inner courts you were a dead man, and they were okay with that. And they said that Paul had done this. He had brought Jewish folks into the temple courts. A very serious charge. A false accusation based on totally wrong assumptions. We learn verse 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed, they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So he's hanging out with this guy, so certainly he must have brought him into the temple area. What kind of leap is that? Totally wrong. People totally misunderstand. They put two and two together and get seven. What? The whole city was stirred up. Naturally, when that kind of slander and accusation goes on, the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So now he's pulled out of the area. The gates are shut. You can't go in there. How ironic is this? The man who was bringing light to the people of Israel and to the Gentiles, was now, it's kind of like, we're shutting the door on you. We don't want to hear from you. It's, it's filled with irony, that statement. Chaos breaks out, rejection, confusion. All those predictions of the suffering, the hardship, were all coming true. And Paul knew, knew it was going to happen. And a riot breaks out. I think, I think, if I'm counting right, this is like riot number six in the book of Acts. It breaks out. So here's, here's the principle. You've got to allow the possibility that no good deed 
goes unpunished. You know, you've heard that little saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes you have the best of intentions, you want to do the best, you reach out, you try your hardest, and people turn on you. It happens. It's a reality of life. Wow. Verse 31, as they were trying to kill him, whoa, 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 now they are, yeah, this is getting real serious. Word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Now the Roman uh, soldiers are alerted. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. They were going to beat him to death. But there's at least 200 soldiers in this group, possibly up to 1,000. They're, they're from a near, the nearby fortress of Antonia. Commander approached, took him into custody, ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked, and then he asks who he was and what he'd done. And someone, some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. Had no idea what's going on. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken into the barracks, sort this whole thing out. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. They had to protect him like a secret, you know, like, you know, protective custody. For the mass of people followed, yelling, get rid of him. Which isn't like take him away, it's like die, heretic, die. Rid the earth of him. As he was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said something to commander and said, am I allowed to say something to you? You just got beat within an inch of your life. And, and the kindness and the, and the politeness. Am I allowed to say something to you? Can I say something? The commander replied, you know how to speak Greek? He says, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Where in the world did that come from? This is the power of rumors and gossip, and innuendo, and accusations. Just goes wild. It went from him being this you know, Jewish guy that is sharing the good news about Jesus to he's the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins. The word assassins means dagger men. These were, uh, the, 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 the original language is sicarios. These are people that would go into crowded areas in the temple courts, and they would have daggers underneath their robes. And they would quietly step into situations and they would take their enemies and they would just, they would just stab them with their daggers quickly, uh, put them away, and then say, hey, what happened here? And they would blend into the crowd. They scared people. They were terrorists, total terrorists. He said, aren't you one of them? And, and Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian of the time, recounts this Egyptian guy that had come in there and he he said he was a prophet and a seer and he made all these predictions and he says we're going to come and at my shout Jerusalem will fall and we'll retake it and all, all this kind of craziness and a bunch of people Josephus says 30,000 people it's probably an exaggeration um, but there was a lot thousands and in fact 4,000 of them uh, he, he took they, they, they chased them out uh, and many of them were killed um, but the Egyptian himself had escaped. They didn't find him. So somehow, the rumor has circulated that the Apostle Paul is an Egyptian terrorist. 
For the Jewish opponents, he was a blasphemous domestic traitor. And to the Romans, he had been told he was a violent foreign terrorist. Wow. I'm going to say the ultimate understatement of the century. And that is, realize crowds can be badly mistaken. People can be way off. And we have to understand this, that people have all sorts of crazy ideas. And, and a lot of these people, were, were, they were just caught up in it. They weren't making this up themselves. They had just heard it. And they got swept up into this very, very anti-Christian sentiment. How does Paul answer all that? Aren't you the Egyptian terrorists who, tried, who led 4,000 people in the wilderness, those assassins, those dagger guys? Verse 39, Paul said, I am a Jewish man, very calm, brutally, brutally beaten. I am a Jewish man from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. He holds his head high. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. And in a moment of incredible providence, it says, after he had given permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, they actually got quiet and they were willing to listen to him. He addressed them in Aramaic. He had spoken to the Roman and Greek. That's the, that's the language of culture. But when he speaks to the Jewish people, he speaks to them in the language of home. I'm one of you. I love you. This is what he's communicating. Verse 22, chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. And now he's going to open up his heart. And we'll get to that next weekend about what he says to the people he dearly loves. This man had a huge heart. He wants to reach those who are beating him and trying to to kill him. Blood, bruised, that's bold love. That is bold love. Here's the principle. Look for the opportunity in the chaos. You know, there are sometimes this hostility to our faith. And sometimes it's irrational and it's wrong-headed and it's it's, it's, it's false. But I love the Apostle Paul here because he doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't lower himself and start insulting them. He doesn't go along with a bunch of rumors and make up his own. He just sticks to the message of Jesus, which we'll hear next weekend. So, in summary, this whole message, if we want to see Jesus Christ formed in us, and if we want to see Christ formed in our culture, if we want to see, and in our community, if we want to see spiritual renewal come to ourselves, to our life group, to, to your life group, to our church, to our community, to our nation, to our world, we're going to have to develop street smarts and bold love. Just to summarize what we've talked about. First, rejoice in what God has done. Celebrate it. Don't forget to celebrate. But be prepared for anything. I mean, you know, I mean, I, anything can happen. And so we're prepared for that. We're not caught off guard. Peter tells us, don't be surprised at trials that come your way. 
fiery trials that you're experiencing. It's part of the journey. So rejoice, but be prepared for anything. Also, never underestimate the destructive power of pride, envy, and gossip. And let me say something. We as believers in Jesus Christ, above all people, should understand this and be as far away from pride, arrogance, envy, and gossip as anybody. And sadly, sometimes believers in Jesus have actually fed the, the hostility and fed uh, uh, misunderstandings because they've passed along gossip themselves. Let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. But understand that, yeah, there can be a lot of negative things. There's so many misunderstandings about the Christian faith. There's so many things that are misunderstood. But these are folks that we are seeking to love and to bring the truth of Jesus to them by our life and by our words. Take the high road. Never become a slave to your freedom. In other words, I have the right to... Yeah, you do. I, I totally get it. You, it. It's understandable. You'd want to strike back that you'd want to get mad. and eh. Take the high road. Look at the long road. Look at the big picture. Take the long road about all this. Take the high road. Don't lower yourself to what everybody else around you is doing. You're a person who lives with bold love and street smarts. People will misunderstand your intentions. Love them anyway. <laughs> yeah, you may have the best of intentions.